But the more I've pondered and prayed about what was taking place on the cross, the more I've come to believe that the crucifixion was just one component of our sins being forgiven and that in and of itself, it cannot save us from our sins. You are listening to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. This is episode 229. Today's topic might seem a little controversial at first. We're talking about the fact that the blood of Jesus by itself is not what saves you from your sins. You're listening to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm James Early, your host, and this is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus's promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I am so grateful that you've tuned in to listen today. And just to let you know, we're going to be talking about kind of a heavy-duty topic this week, so I hope you'll find something to think about in a fresh way. One of the most prevalent teachings among many Christians in many, many different denominations is that the blood of Jesus saves you from your sins. They believe that Jesus, as the pure Lamb of God, was a perfect sacrifice to save us from and atone for our sins. His blood, shed before and during the crucifixion, washed away our sins completely. Kind of to bring to full fruition the Old Testament practice of sacrificing animals and shedding their blood to atone for the sins of the Israelites. Well, there have been so many sermons preached and books written and hymns sung about the power of the blood of Jesus to take away the sins of the world. You can just Google it to see what I'm talking about. And when you do a word search in a Bible concordance, you'll find lots of passages that, on the surface, if you only take them literally and out of the greater context of the entire message of salvation— They seem pretty convincing that Jesus' blood is what saves you from your sins. But the more I've been studying these passages, the more I see something deeper going on than just the literal blood of Jesus freeing us from our sins. Well, first, I want to talk about some of these verses people quote about the blood of Jesus. They're very important, and I am not dismissing them by any means but I'm trying to see them in context of all the Bible has to say about forgiveness of sins and salvation. And I also have to ask the question, when these verses talk about the blood of Jesus, is it the literal blood or is the word blood used metaphorically? Something to think about. Here's one from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, referring to Jesus, in him, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Well, actually, this passage from 1 Peter is a good indication that it's not the literal blood being referred to. Peter says that even silver and gold, which seem to us pretty substantial, are part of the material world and are ultimately perishable. The literal blood of Jesus, the physical red liquid that flowed in his veins and was shed on the cross, is also perishable. It doesn't exist anywhere anymore. But that's not what 1 Peter is talking about. It's the spiritual blood of Jesus, the spiritual significance of Jesus' blood and the crucifixion that is eternal and precious. Here are some more verses that talk about the blood of Jesus. And as I read them, think about blood in a more metaphorical way from a spiritual perspective of what the spilling of Jesus' blood represents. This is 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. When you take verses like this literally, and there are a lot more that I don't have time to quote, it's no wonder people say it's the blood of Jesus that saves us from our sins. But again, I ask, is it the literal blood of Jesus or what the blood being shed represents? Here's an often quoted passage in Hebrews, and it goes beyond just the literal blood of Jesus saving us from our sins, and hence, at the spiritual meaning of his blood and his sacrifice that bring redemption. This is Hebrews 9, 22 through 26 and 28. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, that was a cultural belief and practice during that time of history. Verse 23. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once and for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. So according to the writer of Hebrews, Christ entered heaven to atone for our sins, implying that his blood, which was far above the blood of animals, is what purifies us. 
But Paul makes an important point in his first letter to the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In heaven, there is no literal physical blood because everything there is spiritual. This would imply that the writer of Hebrews is not talking about Jesus' literal blood, but something metaphorical, something spiritual. Now, we could go round and round in circles here, so maybe what we really need is to see what Jesus had to say about his blood. This is John 6, verse 53. Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, referring to himself, and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Now, the Jews listening to Jesus had a hard time understanding what he was saying. They took it literally, and the idea of drinking blood was an offense to them. Back in Leviticus 17, verse 10, God says, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. So, is Jesus referring to his literal blood? flowing through his veins? Do we have to drink his literal blood to have eternal life? For those Christians who say we have to take the Bible literally, well, this poses a bit of a problem. Did Jesus cut himself and put his blood in a cup for his followers to drink? Of course not. If this were what Jesus requires of us, well, it's not quite fair because he's not here in the flesh and his blood is not available in its literal form. If Jesus meant this literally, we wouldn't be able to participate or have access to eternal life. But Jesus was not encouraging his followers to drink his literal blood. And of course, you can say, well, that's obvious. But if it's so clear that Jesus is referring to his blood metaphorically, why do so many Christians still think of his blood in such literal terms? So I pose my question. Is Jesus' literal blood shed on the cross from the nails in his hands and feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the flogging wounds on his back, and the spear puncturing his side, is it this literal blood that redeems us? Or is it a metaphor for something going on at a much deeper spiritual level? Well, what does blood signify on a deeper level? Even literally, Blood represents life. Leviticus 17.11 says the life of the body is in its blood. Blood represents life. Now, let's go deeper spiritually. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus asked us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he was not referring to his literal blood as our life. He also said he was the bread of life and the light of the world. These are metaphors. Now, he didn't quite put it this way, but Jesus is the lifeblood, in this metaphorical sense, the vital essence of our spiritual life. What was Jesus' spiritual blood that flowed through him? What motivated him? It was his intense love for us and for all mankind. He gave that love freely 
every moment of his ministry and, most profoundly, at his crucifixion. Now, as I said at the beginning of this episode, many Christians believe that Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of his blood is what frees us from sin. But the more I've pondered and prayed about what was taking place on the cross, the more I've come to believe that the crucifixion was just one component of our sins being forgiven and that in and of itself, it cannot save us from our sins. So, what took place on the cross? Well, on the surface, a man was executed and died. But Jesus said in John 7, 24, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. To everyone watching, Jesus was nailed to a cross and died. But on a more spiritual level, the exact opposite was taking place. Spiritually, Jesus was not being conquered by sin and death, but he was conquering them. In fact, he had already declared his victory before the crucifixion. This is John 16:33. Take heart because I have overcome the world. What's really going on here? Well, here's my take on it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Even before the crucifixion, Jesus had won his victory over the material world on a deep spiritual level. But he had to prove his victory here on earth. While it appeared to everyone present he was being crucified by the world's evil, as I said, the exact reverse was taking place. Jesus was crucifying sin and death. He was destroying the grip these evils had on all mankind. And by his resurrection, he proved his complete victory over sin and death and won the victory for us as well. Jesus had said earlier in his ministry, this is John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You could say Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection opened the door for all of us to have a victory over sin and death and any and every evil in the world. If Jesus had not been crucified, he could not have been resurrected. To say that life is eternal and death has no ultimate power over us is one thing, but Jesus proved what he preached. Would you want to take a calculus class from a professor who couldn't solve the problems and prove that he understood the principle of calculus? Of course not. Even so, Jesus proved that he knew what he was talking about and that everything he had preached was true. And Paul makes this very point in his letter to the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 13 and 14, 16 and 17. Paul says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Let me repeat verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. For all that Paul and other New Testament writers say about the blood of Jesus saving us from our sins, this passage from 1 Corinthians cannot be ignored or dismissed as irrelevant. Paul is saying, without the resurrection, 
there would be no victory over sin, and we would still be in our sins. It is Jesus' victory over sin and death that saves us from our sins, not just the blood of Jesus. So how does this match up with what Paul says earlier in that same letter to the church in Corinth? This is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. People quote this verse all the time, and that's their focus, the crucifixion. Is Paul contradicting himself? In chapter 2, he says he only wants to know about Jesus being crucified. And then in chapter 15, he says, without the resurrection, the crucifixion doesn't do any good. Well, we get a little better insight into what this verse might actually be saying in the New Living Translation. And this is 1 Corinthians 2, 2 from the NLT. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Paul's focus is always on Jesus. And just to be clear, he says it was the Jesus who was crucified not one of the many other men who had the same name. And by the way, at least from what I can tell, Paul talks about the resurrection a lot more than he talks about the blood of Jesus and the crucifixion. And when he does talk about the blood, he's not so much talking about the actual literal blood, but what it represents, the sacrifice Jesus made. And what was the sacrifice Jesus made? In effect, It was his own material life. He gave up and relinquished the outward appearance of what life is, so much flesh, blood, and bones. He proved that even when his material life had been taken away, his spiritual life, his spiritual essence or identity as the Son of God, could never die. Humanly, he died on the cross. Spiritually, he did not. By his resurrection, he proved that the true life of all God's children is not the material, worldly sense of life we usually identify with, but that it's spiritual and eternal. Paul echoes this in his letter to the church in Rome. This is Romans 8, 9, 12-14, 16, and 17. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Through his victory over sin and death, Jesus has opened the door for us to partake in our divine spiritual heritage as children of God. Jesus proved the true essence of life is spiritual. We're not washed clean by his literal blood. When that imagery is used in the Bible, it's a metaphor. We're redeemed by Jesus' willingness to sacrifice and overcome a material sense of life 
or life according to the flesh, as Paul puts it in Romans. You are redeemed by Jesus' victory over sin and death. Your sins can be, are, and will be forgiven and washed away because of Jesus' resurrection. By his resurrection, Jesus reveals your life as spiritual and eternal. Now, there are a lot of nuances, and there are many, many more scriptures that speak to this issue, and there's no way I could cover all of them in this short podcast episode. And I realize I'm not quoting every passage in the Bible that supports one side or the other of this discussion. My hope is that you'll do your own research and not just repeat what I or anyone else says, but don't just pick and choose the scriptures that prop up your preconceived ideas. Try to get the bigger picture and look at all relevant passages. You can't create a theological teaching on forgiveness of sin or salvation without including all the Bible says on this topic. Now, please don't get me wrong, I am by no means saying Jesus' crucifixion was not important. As I said earlier, without the crucifixion, there could have been no victory over sin and death. But it was not Jesus' death on the cross alone that saves you from your sins. It's the fact that he faced the ultimate test of God's power over evil, sin, death, and all the material world could dish out and proved God to be supreme and life to be eternal. It is his victory over death that saves you. So the next time you hear someone talk about being saved by the blood of Jesus, remember what Paul said to the Corinthians, which I quoted earlier, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. When you look at all Paul has written, when he talks about the crucifixion and the blood of Jesus, it's understood that he's also talking about the resurrection, even though he might not mention it specifically in a particular verse. The resurrection was the focus that propelled his ministry. And so it is for you and me. Jesus' crucifixion, along with the resurrection, prove sin and death have no ultimate power over us, and that our sins have been, are, and will be forgiven. Paul summarizes this when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here today. And if you have any comments or questions about today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Even if you don't agree with what I said, I'd love to have your perspective and uh, let's have a conversation. The best way to be in touch is through my website. Go to thebiblespeakstoyou.com and click on the contact tab in the menu bar and I'll be in touch. I look forward to hearing from you. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast on my website, I encourage you to do so. That way you'll be on my email list. You'll never miss an episode. Go again to the website and click on the subscribe tab in the menu bar. Fill out the form and you're all set. And when you sign up, I'll send you a free prayer guide I put together called Praying with the Mindset of Jesus. If you'd like to read a full transcript of today's episode or study the Bible quotations that I mentioned today, and there are a lot of them this week, you'll find those on the show notes page. Go to thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 229. This is episode 229. 
I want to thank you, as always, for all the ways you've been supportive of the podcast or taking the ideas and and living them in your life and sharing the message with those that you meet. I am so grateful. I appreciate you so much. That's it for this week. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week. Take care, and we'll see you next time. God bless.